Take your Bibles, go to Micah chapter 5, please. We are going through Micah in Sunday school. So we've been considering a great prophecy here concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll look with me, let's read verses 1 through 6. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up. Until the time that she which, which travaileth hath brought forth, then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces. Then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he cometh into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Sunday school hour. I ask now that you'd open our understanding that we might understand the scriptures. And we ask you for Christ's sake, be with every class, please, every heart. Um, We just pray you'd be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So after foretelling of the judgment to come in verse 1... Also in previous chapters, the Lord speaks through Micah about the coming Messiah. There was one on the way who would be born in Bethlehem who was from everlasting. And though he would be born physically, he always existed. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And he would be born as the ruler in Israel. And in this Messiah, or in this Christ... Israel would be able to find deliverance under the new covenant. And this deliverance would include whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord out of all peoples. But it would not be a political deliverance. It would be a spiritual deliverance. Remember in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus read from Isaiah implying that He was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that He was reading from what we, we have as Isaiah 61. He said that He was going to bring deliverance to the captives, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And last week I attempted to communicate just how rich this prophecy is of Christ. In verse 4, the Messiah will stand and feed. And we saw how this meant Jesus would be a shepherd king. Amen. He's a king, but He also serves. He guides, He watches over, He feeds. He would do so in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. There is none greater. Whoop. What Christ would accomplish would be an act of God because Jesus is God in the flesh. And because of Christ's work, we shall abide, which remember means we will sit down. He will stand and feed. We will sit down and be fed. We get to enjoy the fruits of His labor. We get to sit at the Master's table. And while this is happening spiritually now, it would appear that it is literally going to happen at the marriage supper of the Lamb one day. Luke 12, 37, Blessed are those servants whom when the Lord, when He cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, He shall gird Himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And we see at the end of verse 4, 
how Christ will be great unto the ends of the earth. That's something we can see to be true in our day. The gospel is going everywhere. Hallelujah. I remember one dude was uh, getting these little wind-up radios that don't require batteries kind of a thing. And they were programmed to broadcast the gospel and dropped into North Korea. I mean, the gospel is going everywhere. And it's just amazing uh, to watch as, as this unfolds in our day because of all the technology that we have available to us to get the word out. People from all over the world are being saved. And the Bible says that there's going to be people from every nation, tongue, tribe, people. That's amazing. Amen. Uh, a, a number no man can, can number. And we concluded last week with the first phrase of verse 5. And this man shall be the peace. Because Christ stands and feeds in the majesty uh, of the Lord, uh, of God, and because we abide in Him, we can know real peace. What a blessing. Man, the world needs peace, doesn't it? Yes. Christians can have peace regardless of what is going on around them. That's hard for the lost to understand. But we can have peace with God through Christ. Remember that Christ being our peace does not mean an absence of tribulation. It does not mean an absence of persecution. Jesus said, you shall have persecution or you shall have tribulation. It's going to happen. But we can have peace through it all. Knowing that God is in complete control. Pastor Williams is in the back and he would say this. All is well in my father's house. Regardless of what's going on. We have a king that reigns in heaven. He is the governor among the nations. He knows what's happening in Afghanistan right now. He is aware he knows, and we can trust that He's in complete control. Now, let's keep looking in verse 5 as we begin today. And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces. Then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. Remember that the context here is of Judah. It would be the Babylonians who would take over Jerusalem and they would be the ones to lead Judah captive for 70 years. So what is meant here by the Assyrian? It was the Assyrians who led the house of Israel captive. Roughly, we can debate the years, but roughly 100 to 125 years before the house of Judah would be led captive. The Assyrians came into the house of Israel, led them away, and sowed them among the nations. But when the Assyrians came into the house of Israel, they made it into Judea all the way to the front porch of Jerusalem. They were so close that I'm going to read to you here in just a minute. They were having a conversation from the wall with the Assyrians. The Bible says in 2 Kings 18, 13, did I skip one too many here? No. Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, he was king over Judah, 
In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. You can find that also in Isaiah 36.1. And so the Assyrians came in and they took over a lot of Judea as well. They took their time though. The Assyrians were much more methodical in how they came in and did business as opposed to the Babylonians who just came in and killed anybody in their way. The Assyrians were, were taking their time. They easily took over the house of Israel. That wasn't a problem. And they easily marched through Judea and they, they come to Jerusalem. In 2 Kings 18.17 it says, And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaris and Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. Now, if you're familiar with this account, then you know Rabshakeh, he taunted the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He was telling them, don't listen to Hezekiah. He's going to try to get you to say that the Lord will deliver you. He's going to try to get you to trust in your God. But don't listen. He's, it's 2 Kings 18.35 Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand? He's, listen, he's taunting them saying, look, I've conquered all these other places. None of their gods helped. And what makes you think your God's going to help you? Long story short, all of this caused Hezekiah to go into the house of the Lord and pray to God. And his prayer ended like this. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. What a great prayer. God sends the prophet Isaiah, who is a contemporary of Micah, he sends Isaiah to Hezekiah to let the king know that God has heard his prayer. In 2 Kings 19, 32-34, it says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord." For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And we talked about that when we were in verse 2. Bethlehem Judah is going to give birth, right, to the Messiah. Why, why? We made all this emphasis about it because God had made a covenant with David. So Judah, don't lose hope. I still have plans for you. Of course, we know the Babylonians are going to come in, but God's still going to bring them back into Judea. Well, Isaiah comes and says, hey, the Lord's heard your prayer. And if you remember what happens next, this is absolutely amazing. And it would be, I don't think it would be right for me to say it'd be cool to see, but it'd be cool to see something like this. And I say that because it cost a lot of lives. But it would be interesting to see how God works so mightily. And that night... God sent the angel of the Lord into the camp of the Assyrians. You remember how many were killed? 185,000 in one night. And the Bible says, When they arose early in the morning, 
behold, they were all dead corpses. 2 Kings 19.36, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Well, I just lost 185,000 men for no reason whatsoever in his mind. Uh, Let's depart. So he departs, and he dwelt at Nineveh. Now, I gave you that history because, number one, I love history. But I give you that history to highlight that when verse 5 of our text says, this man shall be the peace when the Assyrian come into our land, that this may be a foreshadow of what took place of what I just read to you, Hezekiah's reign between the Assyrians and Jerusalem, that whole exchange there. However, this can't be the fulfillment because the context is still clearly speaking of the Messiah who is to be born in Bethlehem as the ruler in Israel. So who then is meant by the Assyrian? with the exception of a couple of mentions in a historical context where you'll read somewhere about something that happened a long time ago and it'll mention the Assyrians, with the exception of just two verses, I think, that do that, there's no mention of the Assyrians in the Bible after the Babylonians took over Judah. No mention in the days of Christ while He was upon this earth, nor any mention of them from the days of Christ unto the end of this age when the Lord returns. There's no mention of the Assyrians. So because this prophecy is of Christ, there's no debating that. Because this prophecy is of Christ, because there are no Assyrians or Syrians mentioned after the Babylonians took over, it is overwhelmingly agreed, you can take this for what it's worth, but it is overwhelmingly agreed that what is meant here by the Assyrians is just a general term being used to represent the enemies of God. And spiritually, people look at this and and they'll say, this is an indication of the enemies that are going to come against uh, the followers of Christ or the church. There's one that's going to be born. He's going to stand and feed. You're going to abide, blah, blah, blah. All these things we studied. This man, it's still referring back to 5-2. This man shall be the peace. So it's got to be Christ, this man. When the Assyrians shall come into our land. Well, there's no mention of the Assyrians, so generally speaking, this is the enemies of God. Does that make sense? So, I just covered it was the Assyrians who were the ones who mocked the Lord God of Israel while taunting Hezekiah in Jerusalem. And I think it's important to understand their spirit when they were taunting Jerusalem. They were mocking God. God said, this is according to God's Word, God said that the Assyrians reproached and blasphemed Him. That they exalted their voice and lifted up their eyes on high. And this is key. Even against the Holy One of Israel, they reproached the Lord. That's what it says. Both are a reference to Christ. The Holy One of Israel, I don't have time to break that down for you, but the Holy One of Israel is Christ. You'll find that to be true if you'll study that out. And when you see Lord, it just so happens that Lord there is spelled capital L, small o-r-d, which is Adonai, which when you see that, you need to look for Christ. And so both are a reference to Christ. Just a side note there, if I could just 
put this little word out there for you. This is another reason why the King James Bible is superior. Because it has the three different spellings of the word Lord in your Old Testament. You'll see Lord, all caps. You'll see Lord, capital L, then lowercase o-r-d, and you'll see Lord, all lowercase. All three mean different things. But a lot of the modern versions have taken that away. And they're all spelled the same way. So you lose that. Anyway, I just need to put those little nuggets in there for you. So the Assyrians are used metaphorically to picture those who despise God, His church, His Christ in the last days in which we live. It is our enemy which is not flesh and blood. Amen? We don't look at Syria and go, yep, that's the one that we've got to watch to come into our land. What the Bible is trying to tell us is, listen, we have a spiritual enemy that is not flesh and blood. It manifests itself through flesh and blood, but it is principalities, it is powers. It is spiritual wickedness in high places. And we have to watch for that enemy coming into our land, which we are seeing clearly in our day. But it is spiritual wickedness. It is a battle that we have with Satan and his followers, though it is manifested physically through wicked men and women. We know that the enemy is out and about seeking for an opportunity to disrupt the work of God. They're looking to disrupt Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. Spiritual wickedness. They're looking to shut down our press, Brother Foley. They want our school to shut down. They don't want us preaching the Word of God. I'm convinced it's just a matter of time till we're not welcome on social platforms anymore. But, but that aside, I, listen, I'm just saying, the enemy's at work to discourage God's people by fear, and intimidation. Jesus stated, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now, what does that imply? If Jesus says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, does it mean that the gates of hell are just sitting there doing nothing? No, it implies that the gates of hell are actively engaging against the church. But he says, don't worry. They're not going to prevail. Hallelujah. Paul told the Thessalonians that he would have to come unto them once and again He wanted to come unto them once again, but remember what he said after that? He said, but Satan hindered us. We wanted to be there. We couldn't get there because we were being hindered by a spiritual enemy. The enemy wants to thwart our efforts. This is something Paul was all too familiar with. 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. Listen to this now. In stripes above measure in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, 
in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things which are without, that cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches. Did you hear all that Paul went through? That wasn't because there was a bunch of righteous men surrounding Paul and helping him along in all these towns. The enemy is at work. The the Assyrian, if you will, is wanting to come in to our land. Paul was on the enemy's hit list. But aren't you glad we're protected by the Lord and He gets to say when we die. So long as we're walking with Him. And eventually God would say, Paul, it's time for you to die. But until that time, he could go through all of that. So much was thrown at Paul that he understood what it meant to symbolically have the Assyrians come into his land. Paul was such a target that an evil spirit over there in Acts chapter 19 and verse 15, it said, Jesus I know and Paul I know. I don't know you. Listen, Paul was, Paul was up there, if we can put it that way. The, the enemy said, I know Paul. Well, I wonder if that could be said of us. He was in the enemy's crosshair. 2 Corinthians 7, 5, For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Now understand that Macedonia, get this now, because I... You really do need to get this point. Macedonia was the place that the Holy Spirit told Paul to go. We're talking about when the enemy comes, when you face the Assyrian, when they come into your land. Paul said here, look, when I went into Macedonia, there were fightings, there were fears within. But Paul, he had been over in Galatia, in that region. And if you can picture all of this, it's Turkey. Turkey. He was basically in central Turkey, in Galatia. He wanted to go into Asia, which would be modern-day western Turkey. He didn't have... The Spirit didn't allow him to go into Asia. So they head north, and they go up into northern Turkey, northwest Turkey, into what was called Mysia. And there in Mysia, they essayed to go, the Bible says, into Bithynia, which would have been east and a little bit north. So they were looking to head back eastward. And they essayed to go, the Bible says, but that night Paul received a vision, a man standing saying, come over here unto us into Macedonia. So Paul, he, he's, he's being led by the Spirit into a place where there is fightings and there's fears. We can argue later whether the fears are justified, okay? But he said there were fears within. And and he's being led by God to go in to Macedonia. You already know where I'm going with this. Paul was at the very center of God's will when he went over into Macedonia. Yet, it was in Macedonia that Paul said our flesh had no rest. Fightings without, fears within. We were troubled on every side. What's the response of people today? It must not be God's will. 
Paul could have looked at that situation by being called over into Macedonia and saying, you know what, there's nothing but trouble on every side. There's fightings, there's fears. This cannot be God's will for my life. It was exactly God's will for his life. They go into Philippi, the chief city of Macedonia. They're harassed by a woman with an evil spirit for many days. Paul's finally had enough and he cast the demon out of her because she made her, her masters a lot of money. They got upset. They grab hold of Paul. They bring him before the magistrates. They laid many stripes upon him and Silas and they cast him into prison. And listen, laying many stripes was something that you could die from. It was a severe beating, okay? In Thessalonica, the Jews stirred up... This is still in Macedonia. In Thessalonica, the Jews stirred up trouble for Paul. And When Paul departed from there, he went to Berea, but the same Jews from Thessalonica went down to Berea to stir up trouble there. Don't you love how protesters travel throughout the nation to stir up trouble? Boy, we could go there, couldn't we? Same thing. Though Paul was where God wanted him to be, it did not mean the absence of an enemy. The Assyrians, if you will, still came against Paul, even though he was in God's will. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-12, through he wrote this, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto the death, unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. So that's twice that the Apostle Paul said, we were troubled on every side. It didn't matter which direction we took, which way we looked. There was trouble all around. How is Paul going to keep going? How are you going to keep going? Because right about now you might be thinking, boy, the will of God doesn't sound too fun to be in. I mean, if, I, if I'm going to have to deal with all these fightings and troubles and fears, why would I want to be in God's will? I don't want all of that trouble in my life. How's he going to keep going? Look again at the beginning of verse 5 in our text. And this man shall be the peace. You see, that's how you keep going when the Assyrians come into your land. You look to Christ. He's your peace. Paul could press on with trouble on every side because the Lord was his peace while being confronted by the enemy. The enemy can be in your face, but when you're in Christ, there's peace. I'm not saying we're not human. I'm not saying we're not going to look at the situation and go, man, there's fighting was out, there's fears within. But when all is said and done, we can understand that I've got God on my side. Somebody once said, God plus one is a majority. Well, that's a false statement. God is a majority. He doesn't need a plus one, but we understand what they're saying. I just want to be cantankerous right there. <laughs> the Lord was His peace. 2 Timothy 3, 11 and 12. 
he wrote this, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. This is so good. But the Lord delivered me out of them all. I said, man, the stuff I went through. And then he says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. How can we have peace when the will of God includes afflictions and persecutions from the enemy? Because Christ is our peace. How do we know this to be true? Romans 8, 37 through 39, In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> he had become convinced. But you know how he became convinced? He was in the battle. And that's why the ones that start to face any kind of persecution go, this must not be God's will. You're not battle-hardened. You've not been through the fire. 1 John 4, 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 5, 4, and 5, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Peace with God. And so we find that the Assyrian or our spiritual enemy will come into our land. They will tread in our palaces. And though there may be trouble on every side, Christ can be our peace. It's currently waxing worse and worse out there in the world. Would you agree with that? Unless God decides to send a nationwide revival, we'll continue to watch the insanity unfold. But listen, don't lose heart. It's been far worse. And it is far worse in other places. If you're watching what the Taliban's already starting to do. There's an unofficial report that they were confiscating phones and if they found a Bible app, you got shot on the spot. Unofficial, I don't know if that's true. And women will be persecuted once again. It's been way worse. It is way worse in other places. Well, I could go there, but I'm not going to. Don't lose heart. You're a child of the King. And you can have peace in the midst of all this unraveling. Maybe the Assyrian has come into your land personally. On a personal level, an individual level, maybe you're going through it right now. To you, you're under attack. There's, there's trouble on every side of you. Can I tell you to look up, dear friend? Look up, for that man shall be your peace. Find peace in your relationship with Christ. And listen, just because you're going through it, it does not mean that you're not in God's will. Job's friends were far better when they were just sitting there for seven days saying nothing. Because us good Baptists have to pipe up and go, you know what your problem is? What? I didn't realize you lived in my home. 
I didn't realize you raised my kids. I feel a preaching storm coming on in <laughs> Sunday school. But you see, we like to tell everybody what their problem is. Listen, if you don't, if you don't know, just keep your mouth shut. They might be right in the middle of God's will. Just let God work. Let patience have her perfect work. Stay faithful. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Isaiah 32, 1 and 2. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. Let me try that again. A king shall reign in righteousness and princes shall rule in judgment. And a man shall be as an hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock, rock in a weary land. What's the Bible telling us? Go to the Lord in your time of distress. You don't have to go to Facebook and get everybody's opinion on whether or not you're in the will of God. Go to the Lord in the time of your distress. Listen, He's to be your hiding place. Your covert, your water in a dry place, the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. The Lord is to be your refuge. We'll stop there for, for now. So, listen, the, the enemy's going to come. Jesus said so. Only you know whether or not you're in God's will. Let's pray.